Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello. Thanks very much for listening. This is yet another podcast to clutter up your podcast cluttered life, for which you can lay the blame squarely at the feet of David, that's him, and Ned, that's me. It's an occasional series of ramblings between friends who never stray far from cycling. This one is part of our series called The Roadbook, named after the ultimate cycling almanac, a thing of great heft, design, thought and beauty, which has little in common with what you're about to hear. Well, we promised it, and <laughs> we're delivering it, David. I know, this is, uh, I can't believe it, we're actually sitting doing our own podcast. <laughs> and we've, we've come up with a title that kind of works, we've just been umming and ahhing as to whether or not we're really going to commit to it, but it, it does what it says, doesn't it? This is the podcast that never strays too far from cycling. It never strays far from never cycling. Never strays far, well, no. that's, that's the actual title, we're <laughs> <laughs> already changing it, never strays <laughs> too far from cycling. I get the title wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, we... Um, after much deliberation and consideration, we have chosen... And a dearth of ideas. And a dearth of ideas, obviously, and market research, etc. Yeah, uh, non-existent. Non-existent, but never strays far. And within Never Strays Far, uh, the, let's call it the channel, we yep. will have the roadbook and the next chapter. So two types of episode. This is the roadbook, and we'll be talking about bike racing and cycling and not never straying far i think it's a the roadbook series the roadbook series the roadbook series is a continuation of the dna of revuelta exactly which was a try i mean was let's be honest it was a triumph wasn't yeah, it? it was uh, yes it was, it was i think we can say that, that again succeeded. without any market research to back it up or uh, no evidence to back it up but we feel instinctively it was a triumph. we enjoyed it i mean let's face it we haven't even looked at the the numbers no. <laughs> uh, the research has been non-existent as to how much of a success it was but people seem to have listened to it and enjoyed it so that's yeah. the point isn't yeah it? but the great thing about this is um, and by the way if you can hear noise in the background that's because we are n- we haven't strayed far from cycling and we are we are sitting within a stone's throw albeit a hefty stone's throw i have to say of the finishing line of the world road race championships in harrogate um, so if you can hear noise, that's because the uh, men's junior time trial uh, on the Monday is about to finish. Yep, I'm here and watching. Got the finishing straight right in front of us. So I think we're about 150 metres from the finish line itself. It's all getting rather tight. We're just in our hotel lobby and I'm watching the Spanish uh, come across the finish line on the TV behind me as well. So it's uh, we're in the heart of the World Championships. And we're we're certainly not far from it. But the great thing about this from our point of view, and this is going to thrill you as listeners, um, is that... Uh, we're unleashed now, aren't we? Yes. We are unleashed. We're off the leash, David. We don't. Uh, we're not confined by Ofcom, uh, by all the rules that national television 
confine us, shackle us with. Yes. We can be gratuitously commercial now. We are our own producers. We could we, even swear if control. we wanted. Can we? we Let's can. not do that. No, 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 it's not really no, in our nature, not, is it? No, well, it's it not, is, but well, not, no, yeah, not in not this our podcast form. nature anyway. Um, so, yes, yeah, so, so we can actually talk about all, all the things we want to talk about and, and go, we can actually stray far now if we wanted to. Yeah. And we can endorse whatever we like, namely uh, ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> no, we can. And also other people's endeavours and stuff that we like in the world. I was asked about this. I did a little um, Q&A earlier on this lunchtime for a, uh, up here in Harrogate. There's so much going on here, isn't there? That's another thing we'll talk about. But there is a bunch of stuff happening here. I mean, the cycling world really is gathering here. And um, I was really heartened. It was only in a small venue, and uh, there were 20, 30 people there. It was really intimate. I really enjoyed it. And there was a lady who travelled all the way over to Harrogate from Austin, Texas. Whoa. And I said, Are you, is this a regular gig of yours? Do you, do you kind of like, do you visit the world? Is that what yeah. you do once a year? And she goes, no, I, I don't. It's the first time I've actually come. But I'm um, I'm just passionate about the sports and uh, and I I work as a sort of volunteer uh, soigneur fixer does the laundry does everything drives team cars for an American pro continental team and she she I think funds the travelling out of her own wow. pocket and goes around the world uh, with these guys as and when they race and um, I think she's just been with the team somewhere racing in, in Europe and she's come across on her own she's travelling on her own. Um, to visit the worlds, and she had some really good insider knowledge about some of the young American kids who are racing in the junior time trial here, um, as well as I think she she knows Lawson Craddock quite well. Um, who's Ridley Texan? Yeah, yep. and um, Chad Hager as well. Chad. Who's another? Who's another Texan? And but here's the thing, David. She said um, her question, you know, in this kind of for a very friendly Q and A, was um, how did you how did you guys hit upon such a successful formula for your podcast? Did she really? She did. And I didn't, it was rather wrong footed me because I was so chuffed <laughs> that I'd met a podcast listener. Market research complete. Yeah, exactly. Completed it. Um, downloaded. <laughs> um, that I didn't quite know how to answer it. But then I started answering it. And as you see me do so often, I open my mouth and eventually a sentence will fall. Um, that's kind of what I do. You know, it winds Chris Boardman up that I don't go into a sentence knowing how <laughs> it's going to end because he always does. He's always got yeah. the end in mind. Anyway. Um, and I started sort of thinking out loud and words flooded out of my mouth. And I suddenly thought, but the reason that, uh, that, that we evolved this whole idea about any other business and this whole notion about not straying far, but straying from cycling is because you and I, different as we are as people, have one thing in common. Well, a few things in common. But one of the things we, I think, both believe is that um, sports and this sport that we both love, uh, particularly above others, fits within the real world mm-hmm. that it is sport is simply a thing that and it's nothing more nor less than a thing that human beings do to make themselves happy and occupy themselves in their allotted time between the cradle and the grave and why we um why we feel that in society we we have to delineate everything and put like walled gardens around human experience so and this is particularly applicable in education isn't it when you go to school you're an arty kid. You're a clever kid. Yeah. You're a sporty kid, um, and we like to we like to put people in these little corners. Um, I think I think River Welter and now Never Strays Far is a uh, is flying in the face of that convention and tearing down the edifice of that establishment. And we are no less than revolutionary because the message we want to say, David, without any other business, is we are curious about the world. In the same way, and stuff that we don't understand, mm-hmm. like astrophysics yep. and linguistics mm-hmm. and philosophy, yep. in the same way that we are curious about what goes on in bike races that we love watching. And it's that curiosity that drives us 
and uh, we see no differentiation between between the sport we love and the rest of the rest of human experience. It's all part of of this of this thing that we do called life, right? That's a beautiful answer, Ned. And is that what you said? Yeah, I think I didn't say it quite as eloquently this as that. But I've had time to I've had time <laughs> digest to it. digest it. And yeah. Yeah. No, you're right, and it is that. I mean, it's one of the great things about cycling, isn't it? It's the fact we're not confined to stadia either. We're always out in different places, and it makes things like our when we do the Tour de France, our quest, our cathedral quest, you know, going around and visiting cathedrals and and using the race as much uh, outside. We actually, our life is very much uh, AOB. We have the bike racing, and then outside of it, we're often trying to find things to do and learn about things. And completely, bike, bike racing is great for that. Completely, and I think that when when um, someone was asking me about this the other day about um, commentating, and when we we started commentating, I particularly, and it was a four years ago now, wasn't it, at the Tour de Yorkshire when we first started. I would hate to listen to some of that commentary back, by the way, and yeah. I never will. I think it would destroy me. Mm-hmm. It's particularly applicable to me. When I started commentating alongside you, I felt for the first couple of years an over, overbearing, overweening need to prove my credentials as someone who understood bike racing, and mm-hmm. it was a learning process. But I, I was so focused on that that when the Tour de France came around in 2016, I think for the first year or two, um, I in particular, being the lead commentator, neglected to indulge that huge side of mm-hmm. Tour de France commentary, which is the cultural side. And... Um, and when we did start to dabble in it, we kind of treated it with a little bit of a wry, too much of a wry smile and a bit of a joke. Mm-hmm. And we took the mick out of you with your tallest yeah. sea cliffs in yeah. Cherbourg Peninsula, which was fun. But actually, I think year after year, we've bought into it more and more because it naturally chimes with us, right? Yeah, I, you're right, actually. I mean, at first we were over neurotic and, as you said, totally focused on the bike racing, thinking that was our sole purpose. Yep. And actually realised that part of the, the, the viewing experience of bike racing is the, the geography, the history, the, the culture wh- of where the bike race is passing through. And it's something that, that French TV do incredibly well. They have a whole team dedicated to that uh, at the Tour de France. And yeah, it, t- it took us, and it took some feedback as well, p- people saying that they, they wanted more to know more about chateaus and so yeah. we're like that's actually you know what that is what the Tour de France is about and that's what bike racing is about so we started to yeah as you said take it a bit more seriously and enjoy it and just be honest about it absolutely so here we are once again in Harrogate and um, it does feel like everything returns to the centre doesn't it and we come back to Harrogate time and time again but actually yeah. one thing and I'm not sure if you'll be able to do this is, is I listened to a thing by Stephen Fry my father sent it to me. He said something on Radio 4 about uh, the power of sport. Um, I'll try he's and dig it out s- afterwards. He's a big sports fan. Yeah. I'll try and dig it out afterwards and see if you can cut it in. Okay. It's about a minute and a half long. Okay, that might be rights infringing. Do you think so? I think it probably is. <laughs> probably it's on Twitter. <laughs> well, okay. No, do we, we want to do start that. with a court case? No, probably not then. Should we just direct our, our listeners maybe you will to, find to go, it. go and find it for yes, themselves? that's a good That'd idea. That'd be simpler. And also saves me an edit, doesn't it? That's true. Okay. <laughs> do that <laughs> <laughs> start with the highest standards yeah. anyway what's the gist of it uh it was just saying about the what how how important sport is in society and about the fact that the the, the glory found in sport is you'd have to listen to it it's so eloquent and it's, it's perfectly put about the the power of, of 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 sport and the glory of it and and how that's something that we we must appreciate and and is very valuable to to everybody he's a massive darts fan he Stephen is, Fry, he? huge darts fan, and um, th- about 
seven or eight years ago, I was presenting some darts live from the, Silv the Wolverhampton Civic Centre when I uh, became aware that Stephen Fry was watching and tweeting about it, you know, because he's got a billion Twitter followers, hasn't he? <laughs> Probably all of whom were unfollowing him yeah. at that very moment, <laughs> but he started <laughs> tweeting about it. So we, in, in the presentation, we started referring and welcome Stephen and, uh, you know, kind of yeah. name checked him because yeah. we knew he was watching. Um, and then... And to my absolute delight, and then my simultaneous disappointment, he responded on Twitter to his 10 million followers saying, oh, I'm blushing from ear to ear, thrilled and honoured to have been name-checked on ITV4's uh, darts coverage by the charming Mr. Bolter. Oh, oh I got my name wrong. So close. I was so close to a great Stephen oh, Fry moment. And then, oh, Mr. Bolter. Oh, There's a well. yellow jumper moment from Stephen Fry. <laughs> Anyway, bike racing, David. Bike racing, yeah. So it's up and running now. We've mm -hmm. had, um, we've had, if you like, uh, three days of racing. It started with the um, the, the uh, Paralympic uh, events, the three different races, mm -hmm. um, which Sarah's story completely bossed hers, and that was spectacular. The weather was absolutely was wonderful. Stunning the first day, yeah. It was high summer here in yeah. Harrogate, and um, and because it was the weekend, vast crowds. I mean, the, the pictures huge. of the finishing line. And the riders in their various mm -hmm. on their various different hand bikes, labouring up this um, Parliament Street w with its very steep gradients, mm. um, and the the races, which because of the very nature of the mixed classifications and the mixed races within races, there were riders finishing all the time, mm -hmm. you know, over a period of hours, and it yeah. was absolutely fantastic. And although it wasn't official an official World Championship per se, because those have happened earlier on in the season in, for the Paralympi mm. Paralympians, it was an important race in terms of rankings and qualification for um, Tokyo. And, um, and uh, you know, if you believe Sarah Story, who came and joined us on stage on Saturday night, um, it was pretty much the, one of the biggest crowds and the best events she, in her long Paralympic career, has ever, has ever enjoyed. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, uh, it's not the first time that, that the UK uh, puts a spotlight on Paris, Paris, Paris sport, actually. And because of the 2012 Olympics, it was huge as well, wasn't it? And it was taken with such commitment not only by the organizers but by the fans yeah and and once again uh, that's what happened here on saturday it was a brilliant way to open the week was yep. because it's it was um as you said it wasn't an official event it's kind of more of a test event and it's obviously something the organizers here have decided to put in and and support and it might end up being one of the the biggest i think it probably was the biggest Paralymp paralympian event paracycling para event of the year so it's brilliant oh und undoubtedly yeah. and actually Without knowing enough about that, the way the pa I mean, you know, I know from knowing talking to Jody Cundy, mm. for example, they don't get you know the Paralympians don't get enough opportunity to race, no. particularly not on the road. Uh, yeah. It's slightly more frequent on the track, but road racing is very hard to organise, probably for nakedly commercial reasons. It's expensive yeah. to shut down roads and things. So maybe, maybe, maybe next year, maybe in the future, um, the this will merge and will become the world championship uh, for paracyclists mm -hmm. as well. That could that could well happen. It seems like a logical... So it does seem like a logical move. A logic, You'd hope so. A logical move. Yeah. And by the way, before we leave the subject of Paralympics alone, I was talking to a colleague from the International Paralympic Committee, which just celebrated yesterday its 30th anniversary, I think, mm. um, today, who was instrumental behind the success of uh, the London Olympics and also the Rio Olympics. Um, and he has been telling me for years how vast Tokyo is going to be. And he said, and I said, is it, is it going to be as big as you thought it was? And he said, mate, mate if you thought London, the London Paralympics were a success, at this time in the cycle, so a year out, they have already sold three times the tickets that London had. Wow. So Japan is going for it big time. Huh. They, he is dealing with media accreditation for the Paralympic Games in, in Tokyo. And he says, 
they have had they they've got a total of 4000 media accreditations they can hand out and they've captured it 2200 have come from Japan Japanese uh, media outlets wow. and the national newspaper in Japan has uh, uh, requested 77 accreditations for written journalists for the Paralympic Games and there are only I think 22 different events so every single event is having three dedicated writers covering it and what's the, do, do they understand the motivation for that why that's happening um, I think uh, no possibly not mm. I mean I didn't ask him that but from what I understand of Japan when they do things culturally mm. they want to do them right and mm. um, they have from the very word go I think, you know, <laughs> equally, equally, apparently, um, they are. He's embroiled in some sort of huge controversy about the um, the, the symbol, the logo, which is some sort of uh, play on the rising sun, okay. right, but but slightly tweaked, yeah. and uh, that's not going down well in either South Korea or China. Um, because that symbol uh, harks straight mm-hmm. back to the Japanese occupation in the Second World yeah. War, and uh, it's all that he's entered some sort of political okay. nightmare over there. Gotcha. But anyway, the, the, the racing is mm. going to be great. So then anyway, that was that was um, that was the curtain one. raiser, if you like, mm-hmm. on day one. And since then, we've had—I don't know whether you got to s- watch a great deal of it, David. I watched the key sort of end of it, but mm. we've had the mixed relay team time, mixed oh, relay team that. time trial. Yeah, I actually went to the cinema and watched Ad Astra yesterday. <laughs> did some astrophysics <laughs> research while I never strayed too far from, <laughs> yeah. from cycling and I, and I actually watched it. Yeah. So I and think it was really interesting. And exactly what was supposed to happen happened. Netherlands won. Of course they were going to win. They couldn't not have won. No. Although it is really interesting because they had, for the men, they selected... Who did they select now? Um, Jos van Enden, who's obviously... He would have been a, a shoo-in in their strongest team time trial Bauke. team. Bauke. Bauke And I forget who the other one was now off the top of my head but Mollerman was a bit of a surprise you're thinking yeah. uh, okay so that set the tone for a debate that I'll come on to actually mm. um, and also the women they didn't uh, there was no Anna van der Breggen there was mm. no Annemiek van Fluten and there was no Mariana Voss and there are three, wow. three riders so Lucinda Brandt and two other riders rode to victory they've obviously got such strength and depth they yeah. could still win with their B team um, but Great Britain went very close so the Netherlands bossed it. Germany finished clear second. And then there was clear blue water in terms of the timings to a really intriguing tussle between Great Britain and Italy for the bronze medal. Uh, Great Britain uh, just about edged out Italy. It was incredibly close. And, um, and uh, I think unexpected success for a very, very young and unproven Great Britain team. It was very unexpected, yeah. Uh, featuring John Archibald, mm-hmm. who's just getting you know, more and more impressive mm-hmm. in his achievements, and Harry Tanfield and Dan Bigham. Um, so that's a pretty impressive yeah. threesome there. Uh, and uh, for the women, and I think Anna Henderson played a big part, and she mm. will be a big part of Lizzie Dygnan's attempts to win on Saturday. I think she's a very, very talented young rider. Um, but really the story about the, ba- the battle for the bronze medal was what happened to the Italians. Because on this, where I, I'm trying to think how far out it was, maybe about 10 kilometres from the finish line, Elisa Longaborghini punctured. And they and had a very, very slow bike change. Um, was it bike change or wheel change in the end? I can't remember. But she, you know, the team car was nowhere near. And it was all a bit messy. And they were caught betwixt and between. Didn't know whether to wait for her or not. And they kind of, they kind of sort of waited for her by notching it, you know, ratcheting yeah. it back a little bit. And Longo Borghini was turning herself inside out, kilometre after kilometre to get back on. And had they, and she did in the end, and she powered towards the line just, to pull up a couple of seconds short of the bronze medal. But if they'd, if they'd been slightly more, to use your favourite term, lucid, mm. maybe the, d- the smart thing would have been just... Now, now we wait for Longo Borghini. Yeah. She was so much the strongest of those three. 
That seems ridiculous. You see, you'd expect the team to be better drilled than that. Normally, with a team time trial, you have very strict protocols in place for who's going to, who you wait for, who you don't wait for, at what points in the race you don't wait, when you do. And it seems like either they hadn't done that properly, or as you said, they just weren't thinking straight on the road because that's a, a, a schoolboy error. Uh, it seems to be. Mm. It seems to be. Um, but then, so I thought it was really exciting, and I thought it was really interesting. And I am a natural enthusiast, and I like to see the, um, the I'd like to see the plus side before I delve into the negative side. So I tweeted something pretty positive about the whole event, saying that, that yeah, that's a keeper, mm-hmm. that works for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, t- to be brutally honest, David, and I know it was one of your favourite disciplines. I can only actually recall ever once watching the the the, the team time trial world championships and enjoying. Yeah, it. I don't think uh, I ever watched it. Well, there you go, and you, mate, and you were yeah. that was your thing. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a silly event, though, wasn't it? I mean, so much so that they they've got rid of it now because you'd win the world championship, then you wouldn't actually get a jersey; you just get a little well sign on your. Okay, so all right, so silly events, right? So yeah. I tweeted something positive saying I like that. Yeah, and most most of the people agreed, but then people started to disagree, and there was a lot of well. And there was some there were some decent points being made. Mm. I don't know how many teams em- entered. It wasn't a huge number because not many teams can can can, af- can, can actually put up three mm. you know women and three men with all the right kit and all the right training. And you know that that restricts it straight away. I think yeah. the strength and depth issue. Um, and and then there's and then do you know who <laughs> who I've had a Twitter exchange with rather surprisingly about this whole issue? Ooh, I don't know who. Johan <laughs> Brunil. Oh wow! Yeah, that's random. Well, he said he said well, uh, he was in one of a number of people who, some of whom were slightly surprising, and some of whom were less surprising, who were a little bit gammony about the whole thing, yeah. and kind of went, "Well, that's a lot of nonsense, that isn't it? Well, bring <laughs> back the old, you know, bring back the proper old, yeah. f- just for the blokes, really, isn't it? Bring that back, you know, and whatever." And Four man, hundred kilometer team time. Yeah, trial. <laughs> exactly. Um, and he said. And they won't even. And it's a stupid event anyway. They won't even. They've been given a jersey, but they'll never be able to wear it because there's only that event. You know, what's the point of that? A jersey they can never wear. So I said, yeah, but they never wore the, o- the other jersey, yeah, did they? Exactly. You know. And he goes, yeah, but they had a logo. <laughs> and I went, well, yeah, oh, but no. that's like, you know, that's like. Yeah. So, I think it's. I don't know. I think it was an interesting innovation, and I think. Well, I think what you like of this, but I think it's um, people are constantly asking us mm-hmm. when we do Q and As. Quite rightly so. What can be done to advance the cause and the profile of women racing? Yeah. Well, here's a thing you can do, Yeah, I think. I think it's a great innovation, yeah. It's, um, it's one of those things where they, they could do with creating a flagship event in the year, where, it's, where it actually takes place, maybe a world tour, team mixed team time trial. They used to have the, the individual time trial, or team time trial, I think, in Eindhoven. Yep. Um, and, and I think that's what, what would the next step would be. So it's actually there is an event or a couple of events through the year or even a little series of them, because that, that could be something that's, that would be really good to watch and, and actually turn it into a legit exercise that when you come to the World Championships, you do get a jersey and you can wear it in those events. Yeah, exactly, mm. exactly. Anyway. anyway, so there we go. And, and um, the only other thing, the only other point about that um, uh, opening, opening race was uh, Chris Borman magpieing stuff again. Oh, it's all he does. He's magpied, he's working on the BBC commentary. And um, do you remember on Saturday night we had a little chat about this thing and I, I made this little observation. I said, yeah, but why don't they let the teams decide whether or not the men go first or the women go first? Yeah. Why does it have to be the men go first and the women you know, finish it mm. off? And, um, and he goes, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Like that. But that was just us chatting on stage. Yeah. Listen to BBC commentary. And there you go. Your there very words just coming out of his mouth. Oh, the old magpie at it again. He's brilliant. Thinking he can get away with it because he's working on a different madness, broadcast. <laughs> Two words, Chris Boardman, Jonathan Hever.
Jonathan Iver, his yeah. greatest magpie moments. Yeah. Um, which brings us on to today. Yes. And What's I am now. What is happening today? Well, <laughs> I'm searching. Uh, yeah, I'm searching so for the results just, of the. Was the I just watching a junior teen time trial? No, you weren't. What was that? You. Th- so the, ra- the two races that happened today were the junior individual time trials. Yep. For men and women, and I don't know what's happening in the men. I might have to update this on our. Well, on why were there just teams of three out there? Because you were watching a replay. That wasn't live. Oh right, okay. Of yesterday. But two things, David. Have you ever seen a bike race before? And yeah. have you ever worked for television? Yes. Because you failed both. at both of those oh, just wow, now. Okay. That was I wondered why it was raining as well. <laughs> I was like, oh, look, it's raining out on the course. It's dry here. Honestly. Oh, that was yesterday. Um, oh, I'm quite I've just downloaded the obviously excellent UCI World Championship app as we've been talking to try and find out what's just happened in the men's junior race. And I, I can't get it to load or anything. So uh, yeah, I, okay. can't, I can't tell you who's won it. I can tell you who's leading. But I don't know whether you're young on. Uh, I can see if no race times teams results. Let's see if I get it. And great podcasting, this isn't this it? This isn't it. Yeah. We don't even have Look. the results. Okay, okay. I'll Very tell good. you what happened in the women's. Yeah, junior race. Um, it was won by Aigul um, Garina from Russia, and it's very close. And in second place was the Dutch rider Shirin van Androy, and um, in third place for the second consecutive year the 17 year old now 17 year old Elena Backstead there's a men's there oh thank you very much uh, well, Elena Backstead yeah, she's yeah she, yeah, she finished so that's her second consecutive bronze and I, I don't know I haven't heard her interviewed or anything but um, it was very close so I hope she's not disappointed with that because no. she's obviously a phenomenal talent she was just 7 seconds off um, over a course of 13.7 kilometres off off the silver medal and uh, only 10 seconds off the win jeez however the winner, I was, I happened to be on the final corner uh, as they turn swing right-handed onto oh, the ramp. Oh, took it wrong. I saw she that. She went straight on. Yeah. She went down the deviation. She went straight on, followed the bike down the deviation, uh-huh. turned round, came back, and I remember thinking because I d- hadn't been following who was yeah. setting the best time or anything. I just saw this rider do this mm-hmm. and then ride past me, um, looking like that, not a care in the world, looking like she was not stressed or exerted by that. So I was, I was kind of thinking, oh, well, she must be. She's way back. She, yeah, exactly, she was five just down care. and just rolling in. She set the best time so comfortably oh, wow. that she could okay. afford to chuck away 20, 20 seconds in the, um, in the final. Okay. So she's obviously a so massive... no regrets there then a ma- a Backstead, etc. A massive talent. Um, Backstead, from what I understand reading the race reports, had a bit of a back tyre um, slide moments going through the first checkpoint and that must have cost her a good few seconds. But she was very close to the gold medal and uh, yeah, her biggest concern might be holding off her... T- <laughs> younger sister Zoe, who's two years younger than her, and probably just as good. Yeah, so the Baxter dynasty is uh, is looking in fine fettle. And here's the results of the men's, and it's been won by Antonio Tiberi, who was the long time. Uh, well he, sat, he sat on the hot seat for a long, long time. The Italian, um, and he did the negative splits to end all negative splits. David, did he? Oh, hugely. He absolutely smashed. I mean, he was a long way down on. I think a German rider at the halfway point and absolutely smashed the second half and held on. Um, big challenge came in the end from the American rider, Quinn Simmons, from Durango, Colorado. Where in Colorado? Durango. 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 Durango? Durango is like the legendary mountain bike. I knew that. Yeah. Um, Didn't we talk about it? We've spoken about that before. Yeah, Durango. It's uh, Ned Overend. Ned Overend. It springs to mind. Yeah, that's where in the 1990s all the mountain biking. So he must be part of that. Okay, um, but uh, I don't think it's any great surprise to people who've been following sort of junior racing over the last couple of years to see Antonio Tiberi win. 
And he's quite an interesting prospect, I think, for Italian cycling because, <coughs> just have a little bit of cough, because he's, as he's just proven, he's proper time trialy. Mm-hmm. Proper time trialy. And? And um, climby. Ooh. And a bit pogacciary. Really? And uh, potentially the real deal. He comes from the Lazio region, just southeast of, uh, of Italy, in Frosinone. Wow, Italians haven't had a ride like, like that in and a they long ha- time. I don't think they have, right? Yeah. So I remember doing an event last year with Ivan Basso yeah. when I said to him, where's the next, where's the next Italian mm. Grand Tour winner coming from? Mm. And he kind of gobsmacked us all by saying, it's Gianni Moscon. Yeah. And maybe he's right. That's closest they've got. But I don't think he is. No, he's not improved, or has he? No. So maybe it's not Moscon. Maybe mm. it's this guy, mm-hmm. Antonio Tiberi. Um, so there we go. You never really know, do you? <laughs> you know. No, you don't. But actually, I, I tell you what, in the modern world, the way we're seeing these young guys just come straight <laughs> through, like Evanapol and Pogaccia, coming straight from juniors into... Give you another name. A recent winner of this race, either last year or the year before, Brandon, Brandon McNulty, the American, who's, um, again... Uh, you know, it's very he, good. he's going world tour next year. Signed from rally, rather rally. Well, I think things are going to change now because of what's happened this year. Is that before the, the old saying would be that the great juniors become kind of good pros, if you like, good yeah. juniors become great pros. Whereas actually, I think it's quite transferable now. The way we're seeing these young riders just come straight out the ranks, and world tour teams aren't so hesitant to just sign them up and bang them straight into the biggest ones. And Evanapol this year has just broken them all completely, going straight from juniors to world tour and being one of the best riders in the world tour. So I think that all these juniors have got a different trajectory ahead of them now. I, I, I went for a run this afternoon while the race was on, David, and when I just came back, the sweaty mess, I bumped into a, a British DS who I'd probably better not name because I, you know, I don't want to... Well, I'd probably just better not name him. But I, you know, <laughs> I said, um, I said, uh, but he's a, he works for a World Tour team, and I said, "What are you doing here? Are you here in any official?" He goes, "No, no, no, not really." But I tell you what, Ned he said, "The place is teeming today with World Tour DSs scouting." And 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 he named a couple of riders he's close to signing, and you know, many huh. of them I'd, I'd never heard of actually. I have to say, yeah. but he's you know, so precisely that, and he's making exactly that point. He said everything's shifted, yeah. everything's shifted southwards age-wise, and it's amazing. Um, you know, there's a real impetus now. That is crazy. So, and I guess, yeah, we've <coughs> never, never really seen that with World Tour because they normally wait till they're about 21, 22. They'll keep an eye on them now, but we wouldn't even consider signing a well, junior. Well, they park them at a, yeah. at a pro conti team. Exactly. See how they get it, like Let Dunbar. Like that was completely. What, yeah. And I guess for a World Tour team, I mean, you could hit gold, couldn't you? And it's a, we'll talk about the minimum investment compared it's a to... It's to nothing, isn't exactly, it? Exactly. It's a neo-pro that could break records and be winning your world tour like that a seven figure salary normally costs yep. so yeah no brilliant um, can you open that can yes you, can your thing up again there's two names I'm trying to look for on the um, on the oh my eyesight's so terrible where did they finish so in ninth oh okay okay eighth and ninth um, so they dropped down a little bit towards the end um, in eighth and ninth place two riders and I'm only mentioning this because um, there's a big Hearn Hill connection oh really <laughs> yeah yeah Leo Hater, who's the younger brother of Ethan oh. Hater, who is phenomenally talented yep. and Leo is um, Leo shows signs of being just as good and is sick to death of being called the younger brother of Ethan Hayter already <laughs> he finished in 8th place and Oscar Nielsen Julian who's skinny as a rake a little whippet of a rider from I think he comes from Kentish Town but again both of them have come through the VCL system the VCL club which uh, is at home at the Hernhill Velodrome so big up to Hernhill Velodrome two top tens in the junior world time trial championship. very good huh. and that david brings us up to date
I want to hear about your film that you went to see yesterday. Oh, Ad Astro. It was oh, incredible. Come on. So it's, um, it's a science fiction film, and obviously I love science fiction films. Uh, it's beautifully made, uh, and there's the kind of cinematography and just the whole style and look of it. It's Brad Pitt uh, plays this astronaut. Who's of course he does. Of course he does. And it's in the near future. What do you mean? So, like, things look a bit like now? Things are a li- bit like now, yeah. but obviously we're, we're populating this system in the sense that there's moon base, there's Mars base, there's ships, there's regular travel to the moon, and there's this tower that's built that goes into space from Earth. So stuff that we're not doing. But well, It's not that like now, then, is it? It's not. not I don't think it's very <laughs> near either. <laughs> Have they so got really good broadband? It's the future. They've got excellent broadband. No, that still won't work. Yeah. And um, so Brad Pitt plays this astronaut who's... You're not going to spoil the plot, are you? No, 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 not at all. If we're going to film with you, he's he's the son of um, probably the the world's most famous astronaut who was sent off into deep space with a crew to to break out of the system to then go looking for alien life. Uh, And it's his. They disappeared 15 years ago, and it was was written off, if you like. And then they discovered that maybe the ship didn't leave the system, and that it's in orbit of Neptune oh. and something very strange has happened and there's these huge antimatter pulses coming from it that are affecting Earth and killing a lot of people due to these big power surges. So the only person that they want that they think could maybe reach out is Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt so they send him, send him to Mars to yep. get him on a secret laser channel to send a message to his father and trying to ask his father to come back or to find out what's going on. Yep. Anyway, they then uh, Brad Pitt then finds himself actually going to try and get him so actually it turns into this quest it's an amazing thing it's this quest of this son looking for his father but it, yet in deep space and the the fact that it's on a very sort of surface level it's it's really cleverly done because it, the the magic of this astronaut brad pitt is that he has no emotion he can control his emotions like unbelievable so he's one of the star pilots star astronauts because his heart rate has never gone above 80 in crashes, etc. He yep. managed to say hyper-rational, let's say. And, but then he starts to kind of, you see him start to crack slightly as he gets kind of closer to his father. And it's, a, it's an amazing, it's just a beautiful film. So like all good science fiction, it's actually not about science fiction. It's, it's about hum, human relationships. It's about the human and condition. Yeah. yeah, and it's about, it's about the human condition and, and loss and the search for something and how it, uh, it affects everybody. So actually, all it turns into in many ways, apart from the fact it goes into deep space and you end up on this uh, in, uh, interplanetary voyage, it, all it is is about a son looking for his dad. And it's a beautiful film. That, I, I'm sold. I'm there. I love stuff like that. Yeah, I can't funny. get anyone in my family to buy into it. That's why I go on my own as well. It's probably going in, going on yeah, to your nice. own. There's an everyman cinema as well. So you got it's the sofa. Because also, you, when you get up and you walk back into the street, you don't have to have that moment where you tentatively try to ascertain whether the other person enjoyed the film or not <laughs> completely you can just you can just be lost it's in your own exactly it's going to and then slowly decompress yeah like a diver and, and coming out and especially in this film because it's just the finish is is beautiful and you just kind of come out of it in a really sort of uh, trance-like state yeah it's a it's a, a, a brilliant achievement Hats we, off to them. we never stray um far from astrophysics mm-hmm. in this podcast david no, and, and um uh there's been a um a uh, very significant character in German uh, history who's passed away, he's died, uh, an old man. And he's the East German cosmonaut, Sigmund Jähn, who died, I think, today or, or, or yesterday um, at the age of 
Well, he's born in 1937, so... So that means 70, 82, yeah, 80... A lot. Yeah. And uh, Zygmunt Yen was the first German to go into space, chosen by the Russian cosmonaut program, but he's an East German, um, which was obviously, you know, very very prestigious for the East German Mm. state and fully exploited for their ends, but he was a rather wonderful character. Um, When he did go into space, he said this, what I saw then, looking back on Earth, was total happiness... Our Earth in shining bright blue, just like a dream. That's a quote from him. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I was made aware as well by following a Twitter feed of a guy I follow called Ned Richardson Little, who tweeted a poem because he, he started to, hey, it sounds like a perfect podcast correspondent mm-hmm. to me, actually. Um, he started to ruminate about space and in exactly the same way you have. Um, a poem by uh, Gunther Kunert. Uh, that goes like this. I'm going to read it very quickly in German and then try and translate it to you. In eine Kugel aus Metall, dem besten, das wir besitzen, fliegt Tag für Tag ein toter Hund um unsere Erde als Warnung, dass so einmal kreisen könnte, Jahr für Jahr um die Sonne beladen mit einer toten Menschheit, der Planet Erde, der beste, den wir besitzen. And that means, terrible translation, but here it goes, um, in a ball made out of the best metal that we have in our possession, day after day, a dead dog flies around our earth as a warning that one of these days, in just such a way, year after year, around our sun, the planet Earth could circle loaded with dead humanity. The planet Earth, the best one we have in our possession. Well, there you go. And while everyone's gathering in, uh, in uh, New York at the moment to mm-hmm. take action once again in climate change and the kids are striking, as well they should, under the tutelage of Greta Thunberg, to tell the grown-ups to get there. And here we can swear, because we have total control, yeah. get their shit together Damn right. about this. Um, it's a bit of a downbeat way to end our podcast, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Say yeah. something cheery, David. Um, going back to, actually, in my, in my children's bedroom, I, I have a big photograph, they have a big printed, large-format photograph of the Earthrise so it's that, wow. that beautiful picture from the moon. Because I think that's like, it is exactly what you just said. It's the, the idea of the blue marble, the blue dot. It's all we've got, and it's so tiny in space. And I like my kids having that to just look at and remember. So, yeah, we must treasure it. And, um, yeah, well, I've enjoyed that. Yeah, that's That good. was all right, wasn't it? It's half decent. Half yeah. decent, bit of everything. Yeah. Let's see. Oh yeah, by the road book. By the road book. By the road book. By the road book. Yeah, we yes. forgot that bit. Yeah. Um, but we'll we'll do this again in the next couple of days, hopefully. And yes, um, we will. We'll do a preview of our uh, our show that we've got on Thursday. We have got a show on Thursday. For yeah, because um, we did one on Saturday. A few tickets are still available. Yeah. We should probably mention who's on it. Yes, we should. Philip Liggett, and the voice of cycling, and the voice of cycling, Phil Liggett, and Tommy Vaucler. Tommy, Tommy Vaucler. He's taken a bit of bullying. He's taken a bit but of we bullying. Think he's going to be there. Um, yes, I'm going to continue. I might trick him. And the aforementioned Texan, Chad Hager. Chad. And we think we've got um, Phil Noir joining us. Ah, the Phil Noir, yes. Yeah, very yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. I won't tell you who that is, no. but you'll recognise it when you see him. Lovely. All right. All right, very good.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 